Listener Production. I'm Jo Stanley and I'm lucky enough to be the host of Best of You podcast, this podcast. It's our second series. So life is obviously complex. It's very varied. It throws us some crazy moments, moments that are hard, often moments that are boring, moments that are confusing, moments that can be really ordinary. But the thing is, I am really passionate about finding ways to feel better. And that might not be happy. It doesn't even need to be happy. Just on this day, in this moment, just feel a little bit better. which is basically what we're here to do in this podcast, to find the best of you. This series, my co-host is Dr. Jamie Lee, medical doctor specialising in mental wellbeing, which I'm very passionate about as well. Hello, Jamie. Hi, Jo. So what I'm really fascinated about with you, Jamie, is that, you know, we talk a lot about mental health and that all feels like about emotions and feelings and, you know, our senses. But you talk a lot about our bodies as well and that there's a connection there. Our mind and our body is connected. And in mental health, the space of minds and and emotions and, and all of that can be quite fuzzy. And so how can you understand your mental health through reading the signs of your body? Right. So it's much clearer. If we turn to what our body is telling us, that can be a much clearer thing to read than actually trying to, because often when you have feeling things, it's about three different, four different emotions at once. Yeah, and it can be quite fuzzy mm. and unclear, whereas your body is often trying to tell you something and it's telling you how it's feeling, which is related to your mental health. And this makes sense because there is your limbic system, which controls your emotions. So when you feel sadness, it's the limbic part of your brain that is triggered. And that releases neurochemicals and hormones throughout the body. And so when you can read how your body's feeling and how your body reacts to that emotion, it can show you, oh, something's happening right now. I could be feeling a bit stressed. I love that. I love that you're actually, if you are attuned to what your body is telling you, it's like a little key, a little code Mm. to what's going on in your brain. Mm. And a lot of the work that I do is about reconnecting the mind and the body. That's what this series is all about. It's about reconnecting our mind with our body. What does that mean? How do, how do we do that? It is developing greater awareness of the signs of our body. So whether it be tingling, certain sensations, feelings, tightness, heat, coldness, mm. numbness mm. in our body, and then trying to follow that line of inquiry to figure out why you could be feeling that way. And is it things like even recognising patterns in yourself? Like for me, I have the same kind of insomnia every time a certain sort of stressor comes my way. Mm. And when I stop sleeping, sometimes I stop sleeping before I'm aware that I'm very anxious about something. Mm -hmm. And it can be a few nights in where I'm like, why didn't I sleep last night? And then I go, oh, okay, I've got it now. It's that, it's that same sensation that I have a deadline, that I'm going to have to perform, that I have, you know, huge pressure that if I don't get this right, then I feel like I will have failed. But that insomnia can hit me weeks out before I'm even aware that I have this looming deadline. But the thing is, your body knows that you have that looming deadline. Yeah. Your body has registered that stress and has registered that the pattern of how you react to the stress is through insomnia that you don't sleep. And it's because your, your mind and your body is 
flooded with cortisol and stress hormones and adrenaline, which make it very hard to sleep. So in this series, we're awakening our bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Although our bodies are already awake. It's more that we're... Paying attention to them. Paying attention to our bodies. Mm. Oh, geez. A lot of us don't really like our bodies that much. No. We're using our body as a bit of a map to understand what's going on inside. We're using our body as a map to understand our own mental health. Is it a bit weird if you've, if you've kind of, you know, I, I'm, I'm middle-aged now, Jamie. And I tend <laughs> You're still to... young by the definition of WHO, <laughs> just saying. Young is until 60. Is it? <laughs> yep. Well, that's good to know. Uh, but I think that, you know, the older you get, the less you relate to your body because it starts to betray you a little bit. You know, you feel older, you're tired, you maybe have illnesses or whatever, and there are things that you... So you, you stop actually really liking your body so much, but we're wanting to really connect with what it, mm. it's doing mm. with no judgment. With no judgment. And the thing is, when one is getting older, your body is more tired. And so instead of trying to want it to do what it used to do 20 years ago, it's about listening to your body and going, what can you do now? Mm. Go to bed. Yeah. And sleep, I hope. <laughs> Back to insomnia. (laughs) So I know that you're really passionate and you care a lot about helping people feel better. It's a simple way of putting it, but really that's what we're about, isn't it? Just helping people feel better. You're right. What I do is I help people practice self-care. It sounds simple, but it's actually really hard. (laughs) What is it? How how do you help people practice self-care? What do you do? I work with leaders and people and organizations from all over the world to bring awareness to their own health, their physical health, and in particular, their mental health. And through that, empower them to give themselves permission to practice self-care. Okay. So when you're working with leaders and, you know, you're, you're working with some of the biggest organizations, biggest corporations that we are all aware of around the world, uh, and then you go into, so you're in someone's work place effectively and you're taking them into a conversation that's about their health. Is yes. that a bit incongruous? Does it feel weird for them? It can. It can feel a bit weird for them because they're so used to engaging only intellectually and with their minds. And then with that, there's often a disconnect between their body and their minds and they believe that, you know, they, they almost act like their brains on sticks, mm. right? That they everything in their work is cerebral and they forget that they have a body that carries that massive brain around. And I do fundamentally believe that if we can change the way we work, we will change the world. What I care about is creating healthier and kinder workplaces. We spend about a third of our day at work, if not more. It influences all parts of our lives And if we can change how we work, we will not just renew ourselves, but we will also renew societies. So when you're in a workplace and you're having conversations with people about their health, Mm. what do you teach them? Well, a lot of it is around bringing awareness back to their own body and their own health. So I do this through facilitating workshops. It might be at speaker events. We also do immersive retreats in some beautiful locations all around the world and, and helping them reconnect with the intelligence of their body because our brain can only process about six, seven processes at any one time, but our body can process millions. 
Really? And And it's always just reading different things around the room, between people, what's going on. It's always checking, measuring and adjusting our body. And so we actually can tap into the intelligence of our own body and our own health. Not only can we lead a healthier and better life, but we can also lead a lot more purposefully and have a better connection with ourselves and with each other. See, I love that because, I mean, effectively we're animals, right? We are. <laughs> we are animals with a larger prefrontal cortex. <laughs> and all of this stuff is happening in our body without us even being conscious of it, mm. which I really love because you just let it go and it does its thing, yet our brains are constantly concerned. Always constantly concerned about everything, actually. Our brains are constantly concerned about a lot of things going outside of us, what's happening outside of our control. But it's very rarely concerned with what's going on inside, yet it's actually affected by it. So in this conversation, in this series, we're going to be addressing lots of different challenges. Things like how to manage, you know, that profound grief when you lose a loved one. or how to overcome a habit, a behaviour that we feel like we just don't want in our life anymore. Another episode we're going to be doing is accepting family, even when it's difficult. You know, these are all challenges that our lives, you know, that's just to be a human, that kind of stuff, right? Um, But what I really am loving about what we're talking about is this notion that you can feel not okay And it doesn't need to be a diagnosed thing. Mm. You can just feel a bit off, like you just can't settle or you feel stuck or you feel sad. Sad. Or angry, right? I, I find when it comes to mental health, so often we're focused on a diagnosis or label. But actually, it's a spectrum of mental well-being and mental health. And through our series, it's really about exploring that you can just not feel okay, right? And that's okay. It really is okay to not feel okay. But when you talk about being alert to your body and what's happening inside, a lot of it, I think, is about training ourselves to recognize what we're feeling. Mm. So when we say it's okay to not be okay, we're saying it's okay to even investigate how we feel. Mm-hmm. The key is to be curious about your health and curious about your body. So why am I feeling that tightness in my chest right now? Is it because I'm feeling anxious every time a particular person, like my boss, walks into the room? Mm -hmm. Where's that coming from? And when was the first time that that tightness in your chest came about? Does your boss happen to remind you of a parent, perhaps, or of a teacher who told you off in school? And the thing is, your body remembers. Your body remembers and keeps score, really does remember all of the, the different experiences you, you go through in life. And what you need to do is remind yourself you're here now, and it's about wiring your brain to not think that you are in that past situation. Because your brain can't tell the difference, really. No. no, our brains can't tell the difference. Often when we're feeling stressed, that's a very primitive reaction. And we, you know, that comes from our forefathers 
when our ancestors were hunters and we are wired to move all of our blood towards our big muscles and run away from a bear. And the thing is, we can't tell the difference between a bear or an angry boss. I can't tell you the amount of times I have Googled the symptoms for depression because I've just felt really sad and I've wanted to know, I've wanted to understand, is this depression? I don't know, you know, according to the uh, the way that they describe it, it's got to be a certain amount of time and, an, you know, amount of days or whatever that you might be experiencing the feelings that you're feeling. And, you need to tick off like seven of yeah, these ten it. symptoms. Yeah, that's it. And you go, well, I've only got seven, so I should be all right then. Uh, <laughs> mm. Why? It's not important to give a label to something. No. No, it's not. For the majority of people, we will experience moments of anxiety. We will have lowered moods and we'll feel sadness. We can experience periods of depression, grief, where you go through a phase of depression, for example, and you don't need to have a label. It's about understanding that it's okay to have these emotions. Is that because we, I mean, I think we resist having the emotions, perhaps because um, we're surrounded by messages that we're supposed to be happy all the time? Yeah. Everyone talks about positive emotions and negative emotions, when actually it's a spectrum of emotions, not labelling good or bad or positive or negative emotions. So angry, feeling anger is just as valid as feeling happy. Mm. Feeling sad is just as valid as feeling fear. And I think you become scared of feeling the bad things, Mm. you know. So in a way, you get caught up in the kind of your reaction to your feelings. So you're kind of having that double layer of, well, firstly, I feel really crap and now I hate the fact that I'm feeling crap. So I feel on top of that sort of some sort of notion of um, anxiety about the fact that I feel sad. Mm -hmm. And then add on top of the fact that culturally... Everyone wants you to feel positive. Yeah. They really do. People don't like you to be sad. (laughs) They don't like you to be sad, right? It feels really uncomfortable. It feels really painful. Then you think, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this. This feels, uh, you know, everyone's telling me I need to be positive. Okay, I'm just going to ignore it, put it away, and get on with my life. Is it important to try and investigate what the root cause of that feeling is? Or or do you think it's uh, really irrelevant? What's caused that feeling? I believe it is important to understand the root cause Uh and to understand where is it coming from and is the cause of your, the emotion right now, is it due to an incident that just happened or is this lingering from a previous incident in the past that has now been triggered by an event that just happened? And understanding that root cause allows you one, awareness, but then two, an ability to be able to release that. Because it's not present anymore. Exactly. Gee, our brains are pretty powerful though. They are. They are. They're, they're incredibly powerful. Uh, there's a reason why we are, you know, one of the most evolved beings right now on planet Earth. So in memory 
that still is a real feeling. Like as we remember something, mm-hmm. that's a real feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes. So when we remember, our bodies will physiologically go back to that memory and experience the same emotions, release the same chemicals as if we were there in the past. That's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Like as though it is actually happening again. As though as it as if it is happening again. Even if the event is completely different. So what happens is we have your amygdala. The amygdala is a part of your brain, sits in the very center of your brain, and it's constantly scanning for danger. It's constantly scanning, am I safe, am I safe, am I safe? And every situation you are a part of, it tries to see if it can match up to a dangerous situation in the past. And when there is a match, all of a sudden, it bypasses your executive functioning because it's a lot quicker and it makes you react faster. And you go from your thinking brain to your emotional brain. And you react the same way that you did the first time. Even if what I'm going through presently is very different, Mm -hmm. the brain has somehow matched it. It has somehow matched it because of either a sensation that you felt, a potential threat it registered that matched the old event. What's important to know is firstly, let's be aware of this. And and this is why I love the fact that we're having this conversation because it's about bringing awareness to how our brains and our bodies can react. And now that we're aware of it, when we feel that, you take a pause. You take a breath. And you tell yourself, this is not the same situation. Mm. And it gives your brain extra second or two and a little bit more oxygen It allows your brain to run the thought process and the memory through the logical part of your brain as opposed to the primitive emotional part of your brain. That way, it prevents an overreaction to an event that's happening now. So you're able to assess Mm -hmm. what is happening now. Mm -hmm. And I guess that, again, that leads us back to the self-care, leads us back to understanding who are we what are the things that do, you know, that do kind of trigger? Mm. What, 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 you know, to give myself permission to feel something mm-hmm. without any kind of judgment mm-hmm. then is a part of that conversation you have with yourself and really assessing the situation that you're in. It is a courageous conversation that you need to have with what do I need? What do I need physically, mentally, emotionally and spiritually to be happy, healthy, and to thrive. And not everyone wants to go there because in order to find your needs and your fears, you actually need to dive past not just your behaviors, but go past your thoughts, your feelings, through mindsets, beliefs, to then understand what's at that base level? What do I, Jamie, need? I don't reckon we're given permission to ask ourselves what do we need. No. I think as children, we're silenced. As children, as you grow up, you know, you're trained to conform with family or workplace or schools Mm -hmm. or community, Mm -hmm. whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And bit by bit, we sort of stop asking ourselves, what is it that I need and want? Yes. And you slowly start denying yourself of what you actually need. 
I mean, I think it's not unusual for people to build lives that are very complicated, careers, families, houses, you know, whole social networks that might actually be not at all what they want. I agree. Oh, that makes me sad. Mm. It makes me really sad. Over the last 12 years, you know, I've, I've had a mix of careers. Right? I worked as a medical doctor. I worked in public health. I've also worked in the corporate world. And what I saw over those 12 years was that whilst people weren't necessarily sick and needing to go to hospital, they weren't well. And that broke my heart, that people were not well. And a lot of it was because they were denying themselves or could not recognize or did not give themselves permission to acknowledge what they needed and what they truly wanted. So what questions do we ask of ourselves to be able to identify what we need and want? I mean, it's not as easy as what is it that I want? Because that's, to me, an unfathomable answer. I can't, you know, you sort of start thinking about it and you're like, oh God, well, uh, what do I want? Because effectively most of our needs are met. You know, we've got shelter and food and those basic needs. So when yeah. we're asking what is it that we want, what, what kind of answers are we hoping to find? So I, I actually asked the question, what do I need? And yes, our basic needs are met. We're very fortunate in Australia that we have free healthcare. We, you know, we've got a government that generally supports us. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us are, you know, it, it's a first world country. We're very yeah. lucky here. Very. Very lucky. The question of what do I need is a very deep question, but that is the question. And it takes time. And so in order to get there, I often break it down for the people that I work with into four quadrants. So understanding Mm -hmm. the different elements of their health, their physical health, their mental health, their emotional health, their spiritual health. And by spiritual, I mean their purpose, what gives them meaning. It doesn't necessarily mean faith or religion. And when they understand like what makes them feel healthy physically, what makes them feel healthy, you know, mentally, et cetera, we then start asking, what do you need to be healthy in each of those quadrants? And that's where the self-care comes in. Exactly. So for instance, I might say, uh, physically, for me to feel healthy, mm-hmm. I need to be able to go for a run twice a week. Mm-hmm. That's really important to me. Mm-hmm. Not just like it's not a fitness thing, mm-hmm. it's a feeling strong, it's a feeling of defragging, you know, my brain. So that's the kind of thing you want to ask yourself, okay? And is it as simple as like these are the moments when I feel most alive, these are the moments when I feel uh, lit up? How, I mean, because it doesn't necessarily relate to happiness. No, it doesn't. It can also be these are the moments I feel the most grounded, mm-hmm. this is what I need so I can clear my head. This is what I need to do so that I can be the most present as a parent or as a partner. It can be one of many things. I mean, it just makes me sad that we don't prioritise that. What I've seen is that people are generally very good at prioritising everything else and everyone else apart from themselves. And it goes to some pretty deep mindsets when, whenever we do the exploration and it can come down to a sense of low self-worth or mm. we don't deserve it or everyone else is more important, I'm, I'm not enough anyway. 
and and these are very deep fears and beliefs to work with. And also, if I do prioritize myself, then I will be judged. Mm-hmm. I feel guilty if I choose to take an hour out to go for a run because it makes me feel better, but that means my partner is left with the kids for an hour on their own, right? So there's there's a lot of complexity when it comes to creating the space for oneself to practice self-care. And so another element that I love teaching is boundaries. Okay, what does that mean? Boundaries is all about creating the space to practice self-care. So it can be physical boundaries, time boundaries, Um, it's really about knowing, firstly, what do you need to do? And then once you know that, how much time do you need to do that? Where do you need to do that? And then how do you communicate that you need to do this? And so you can communicate, I need this time for myself because it helps me do X. It helps me be more present. So when you're, I suppose, forming relationships or choosing a career, choosing a workplace, they're the times at which you, you kind of want to do that in a way that sets you up with the space and the boundaries. Yes. But so often when we're choosing a relationship or choosing a job or a career, we're not necessarily choosing it based on what we need or how it would meet our needs. We're often choosing it from a place of ego. What does that mean? So we're often choosing it because it looks good on paper. It would give me a great salary. It would impress my parents. It would impress my community. The choice is not always coming from a place of, will this empower me to look after my best self? So if we're in this space right now, I mean, you can't just sort of upend your life and quit your job and, you know, just change everything because you've decided that you're not, your needs aren't being met. Mm-hmm. There has to be ways of doing this, this self-care, within the life that we've built. How, yes. how do we do that? I focus on micro-recovery. Micro-recovery, I like this. Mm. So it's all about finding the gaps in your day to look after yourself. What I mean by this is that in life, in work, we're going through a constant cycle of stress we are probably living in a sea of chronic stress just due to traffic, you know, little things like spilling coffee on yourself, emails pinging away, your phone always going off. Deadlines. Deadlines, meetings, all of that. And that's stress after stress after stress after stress. You keep going this way, at least to chronic stress, and that will eventually lead to burnout. And it's because you're not allowing yourself time to rest and relax and practice self-care. You brought up a good point earlier where it's very difficult to upend your life and Mm. change everything. So what I do through my work is I find, I help my clients find the gaps in their days and it can be as little as one minute or five minutes to practice micro-recovery so that it resets that stress cycle. It's all about the off switch. So how, how do you activate an off switch? How do you identify that it's even there? So to activate your off switch, it changes your body physiologically from a state of stress where cortisol is flying around to a state of recovery. And it activates your vagus nerve, your parasympathetic nervous system. 
And you can do this through as simple as taking three deep breaths with a long, slow exhale, where your exhale is about twice as long as the inhale. When you do that, you activate the vagus nerve. Uh, Another one is singing. Singing, I love it. Mm. I'm a big singer, much to my daughter's (laughs) disgust. Stop singing, mummy, I get all the time. But it really is a natural uplifter, doesn't it? It is. And it is because of a, a number of reasons. One, when you're singing, you are exhaling because you're singing, right? Oh, That's yeah, just right. naturally part of it. But two, your vagus nerve goes through your vocal cords. It innervates your vocal cords. And so whenever you sing and you vibrate your vocal cords, you activate your vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve activates your recovery mode, which then helps you relax. Oh, love it. So simple. Pick um, your favourite song and blast it out. Right, well, I'm. I, if, next time my daughter says, <laughs> stop singing, mummy, I'm like, I'm activating my vagus nerve. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> it's very important right now. <sighs> but I think that's the key. It's about being able to pause long enough to assess where you're at. And that means giving yourself permission to read what's going on, mm-hmm. but also to go, actually, this thing helps me. This one thing, and it's different for everyone, I'm guessing. Yeah. It's different for everyone. And it's also giving yourself permission to take a breath. It really is. Take, give yourself permission to take a pause. So often it, we just go about our life, our very, very busy lives, running from one meeting to another. And if you slow down for just 10 seconds in that time, you can activate your off switch. So other versions of self-care are things I think like Mm self-compassion, where you might see yourself. I mean, you know, I, I like to talk to myself as I do talk to my daughter and hold myself. I imagine myself actually holding my heart. And rocking, you know, almost rocking myself like you would an infant mm-hmm. who's distressed. Yes. That's how I imagine self-compassion. Mm-hmm. What other kinds of self-care? You can also imagine that you're talking to your best friend. Mm. How would you treat your best friend? I love that. Mm. Spending time in nature <sighs> is a really good one. Right? Nature is, you know, one, it uh, our lungs will enjoy the oxygen and the fresh air. And two, nature is, is just very grounding. Our systems will co-regulate with the ground and the trees around us. We just do it naturally. We've been on this planet how many billions of years. We are wired this way. That's like we were saying. It's, we're just creatures. We're just animals. Mm. Let it, we've got to just let our systems do what our systems want to do. That's exactly right. Mm, This is what this series is all about. It's about finding ways to give ourselves permission to care for ourselves. So in every episode, we're going to be asking the question, what do you give yourself permission to do today? You know, in a way of just really caring for yourself. What will you do that's specific to you? And we really want to empower people, don't we, Jamie? Yes. To feel that there is no... There should be no guilt and there should be no feeling like you're obligated to, you know, deny yourself whatever you need. And there's no right answer to this. There's no right way to 
care for yourself. It's whatever feels good to you. So that is my challenge. That is my challenge to anyone who's listening right now to maybe even write it down, commit to it, knowing that perhaps some people around you might not want you to do that, knowing that some people around you might be going, well, but, you know, we committed, we were going to go out and, you know, we had to do the grocery shopping and blah, blah, blah. blah. Give yourself permission to do that thing, whatever it is for you. I can't wait for the rest of our series where we are just going to explore that notion of giving ourselves permission to care for ourselves today. In our next episode, we're going to talk about family. So when we don't feel connected to our family, we can feel completely lost and that hurt can last a lifetime. So how do we accept family even when relationships are difficult? And how do we heal the pain of the past? We'll cover all of that in the next episode of Best of You. Best of You in the House of Wellness was created and presented by me, Joe Stanley, produced by Alex Mitchell. For more episodes, head to houseofwellness.com.au or search Best of You in the House of Wellness. Listener.